So the reading is from John 12, verses 1 to 8. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to talk about embarrassing situations. Uh, to misquote Frank Sinatra, uh, embarrassments, I've had a few. Uh, just recently at the ordination service of Mike and Ritesh at St Paul's Cathedral. We were out on the steps after the service. It was very crowded. Uh, this was a big photo opportunity after the service with all the bishops and everyone else. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw my friend Ro. Ro, I knew, was at the service. Um, I've been hoping to catch her. Uh, like I said, I was pretty packed on those steps, but I was close enough to shout. Ro! I called, trying to cut through the noise and the bustle of hundreds of happy people. Ro didn't hear me. So I worked my way a little closer to her and then I again shouted, Ro! But she still didn't hear me. Uh, by now, several people were aware that I was trying to get this woman's attention. The interaction now had spectators. Giving up on shouting, I weaved right through the crowd, right up to her, and I tapped her on the shoulder. You can see where this is going. Ro turned around. And it was at this moment that I should have realised that this woman wasn't my friend. But I didn't. In fact, I was still so sure that I started talking to her. And it was only halfway through my first sentence that the blank look on her face told me that this woman was not my friend Ro. <laughs> A blank look which turned to mild alarm as I realised I was freaking out this total stranger. Bear in mind that I was in my full clerical robes at this time. I apologised and I made my getaway as quickly as possible, um, not so easy through the crowds on the steps of St Paul's Cathedral who had witnessed the whole sorry episode. I felt so embarrassed. I wonder if you can relate. It's interesting what makes us feel uncomfortable. Uh, Nathan, my eldest, has always seemed to have a pretty low threshold for stressful television programmes. Now, this wasn't a terrible thing, considering that he has two younger brothers. It meant they could all watch the same programmes. It wasn't until he was older 
that I realized that it wasn't stressful television programs per se that he couldn't cope with. He was pretty resilient around themes of danger and threat. What triggered him was seeing embarrassing social situations playing out on the screen. He would have to hide behind the sofa or leave the room when he saw them coming. He's probably the only child who could happily cope with Apollo 13 or The Hunt for Red October, but not Tangled or Shrek. We all find different things uncomfortable and hard to deal with. Now, with any Bible passage, it's worth asking the question, what does this tell us about Jesus? And one thing that I think this story shows us is that Jesus is not easily embarrassed. We know, of course, that he spent a lot of time with people who society looked down on, like tax collectors or sinful people. But in this story, Jesus is among friends. He's in a village called Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. Uh, Bethany, literal translation, house of the poor, uh, was home to Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus famously raised from the dead. In some ways, it was the closest thing Jesus had uh, to, uh, that Jesus had to a home base during his ministry, where he was known and loved. It was a place where he sent his disciples to secure a donkey for their ride into Jerusalem. And the three siblings have put on a special dinner in honour of Jesus. Uh, Martha is serving, Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. Uh, people uh, used to lay on the floor eating from low tables in those days. They didn't sit round tables on chairs. And while they are eating, Mary does something totally unexpected. She takes some expensive perfume, the kind of perfume used to prepare uh, somebody's body for burial, and she pours it onto Jesus' feet. So imagine his, his feet are stretched out behind him. He's probably sort of leaning on one elbow at the table. And Mary pours this perfume out. And it's strong stuff. John tells us that the house is filled with its fragrance. But what Mary does next is really surprising. In fact, it's not surprising. It's embarrassing. Mary uncovers and lets down her hair, and she starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, spreading the perfume all around. And you have to understand, this wasn't just strange, this was deeply inappropriate. In first century Jewish culture, a woman letting her hair down like this was considered outrageous, it wasn't done. Uh, one commentator says it would be like a woman at a, a posh dinner party today lifting up her long skirt to the top of her thighs. Or a man removing his smart trousers to mop up a spillage on the floor. This was seriously inappropriate and embarrassing behaviour. It would have created a terrible impression of Mary and Jesus. But if you've read John's Gospel to this point, you'll know that Jesus is not interested in good impressions and he's not bothered by embarrassing situations and people. Martha's reaction isn't recorded here, but we can assume she may not have approved. Certainly that's the case in another story. At the very least, her special dinner had been rudely interrupted. Judas goes further. He's looking at this valuable perfume thinking, what a waste. Mary was just going to throw it down to Jesus' feet, then it could better have been sold and the money given to the poor. It was worth a lot. 
course, John poses some question marks over Judas's motivation here. But Jesus tells the others to leave Mary alone. He says this perfume was meant for the day of his burial. And it's not that Mary has jumped the gun here. Rather, what she is doing is actually something of a prophetic act. Much like many of the signs that John records Jesus performing. It was a sign that death and burial was not just something for the end of Jesus's life, but that it was a central part of his mission. His death would be premature, but it would be done for a purpose. And in this act, Mary was, it seems, perhaps unknowingly pointing towards Jesus's death on the cross. So what does this episode have to say to us today? I wonder, where do you find yourself in this story. It would be easy to distance ourselves from Judas, wouldn't it? You know, we know where he's heading. Like John, we could question his motives, but it's clear that in the Gospels that he was passionate about Jesus' mission. In fact, his disappointment in Jesus lay in Jesus not going further and leading a full-scale rebellion. He probably considered himself to be the prudent and reliable one here, not wanting to see valuable resources wasted. After all, Jesus did teach good stewardship and, of course, care for the poor. But he also modelled and welcomed extravagant acts of worship and giving and self-sacrifice. Perhaps it's easier to relate to Martha, busy hosting, giving of her energy, her time, her skill, only to be upstaged by her shameless sister, who has embarrassed both herself and her guest. It can be so easy to get caught up in doing stuff for Jesus that we forget that his primary invitation is simply to be with him. Our vision as a church is to become disciples of Jesus, which means apprentices or students who are with Jesus, becoming more like Jesus and doing his work in the world today. It's so easy to be activists who jump straight into doing his work that we forget that this all starts with relationship, being with him. Vicars especially need to remember this. Maybe you do too. In fact, maybe you feel a little affronted by that. Maybe you are someone who does a lot for this church or for our community. You keep a lot of things going, a lot that blesses the family of all souls and others beyond. That's great. But Jesus says there's something even more important. And that's your relationship with him. Before the extravagant acts of service, what he's looking for is the heartfelt, shameless worship of Mary. All in, not bothered about impressions, offering all that we have and are to him. That's the starting point. That's where it begins. Because it's only through being with Jesus that our hearts and minds can be reoriented, set straight, realigned to his will. And also in our understanding of ourselves and each other and his mission. It's only with Jesus that we can work for him in the world today, motivated by love, which the Bible tells us is essential. Without love, we're not really doing what Jesus did at all. Again, I'm really challenged by this myself. Maybe you are too. Finally, it's worth pointing out that 
Mary made this moment all about Jesus' death. That might not have seemed a great focus for a meal, but that didn't matter to Jesus. In fact, he affirmed it. There's never a bad time for us to be focused on the cross. There's never an inappropriate time to be thinking or speaking or demonstrating the gospel message that Jesus left his glory in heaven, was born as one of us, living, uh, proclaiming and demonstrating his kingdom, what life would look like if we lived his way, and that he went to the cross and died to save us, to give us a future and a hope. Free from the consequences of sin and guilt that we all deserve, taking the brokenness of our lives and of the world on himself. Then bursting through the grave, defeating death, the first fruits of a resurrection that we can all look forward to in life and death. That's always worth drawing attention to. So let's be more like Mary this week, shameless in our worship of Jesus, making a priority of spending time with him amidst the busyness of life in prayer, in worship and in his word. Let's proclaim through our words and actions his glorious victory over sin and death and the power of the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are not primarily concerned with what we can do for you. But most importantly, you want us to be with you. Thank you that that's why you died on the cross, to open up the door again so that we could be back into relationship with you. And I pray that you would inspire us by your spirit this week to live like that. We would draw close to you in the quiet moments, in the busy moments throughout the week. We would find uh, moments where we can um, just become more aware of your presence with us now. Lord, keep us close to the cross. May the message of salvation and your love for us be always on our lips in the world as we go about our business this week. In Jesus' name, amen.